is it great to see you guys. I was over at Anderson last Sunday as Jacob and I flip-flop, but it's fun to be back with you guys. Fun to see you all this morning. We are going to be in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Worship team, thank you guys for leading us this morning. That was powerful. That was amazing. Thank you guys for leading us. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 25, uh, we find written, uh, For this reason I say to you, Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink and what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come before you this morning, and we confess and we admit there are so many uncertainties in our lives. There are so many things that we're unsure of this afternoon, not to mention this week, not to mention even life after college. Father, in the midst of all that uncertainty, we come before you this morning, and we confess that you are our ultimate provider, that you are our ultimate protector that you can provide and you can protect for us in ways that no one else can. Just look at the lilies of the field and the grass of the field. Look at what you've done for them. Father, I pray this morning, just as we sing, Lord, I pray that you would take us to a place deeper and that you strengthen our faith in a way that has never been before. Father, I pray as we walk through your word this morning, Lord, I pray that your spirit would teach us, that you would guide us, that you'd speak into the particulars of our life and the things that we're wrestling with. And in many ways, Lord, I pray that you'd remove distractions and allow us just to sit before you and to hear your word. And Father, I pray that your spirit and its quiet leading would come and take the whatever words that you will have me speak this morning. And I pray that you would accomplish whatever it is that you see fit for each one of us this morning. Father, I thank you that your word does not go out and come back void, but that you use it to accomplish whatever it is that you see fit. And so I pray this morning that you would give us ears that are open, hearts that are softened, and that you would do in our lives whatever it is that you see fit this morning. Father, we ask for these things through your son and by your spirit. Amen. Well, I'll tell you guys, I have always been uniquely fascinated by the weird things that people choose to collect, all right? So uh, people are all kinds of crazy people, or rather all kinds of people have all kinds of weird fetishes or collections, all right? In fact, I was kind of certain, sorting through things this week, and I ran across this person, all right? She calls herself, and I'm going to totally mispronounce this, but she calls herself Pika Bilachu, all right? She is Guinness World Record for uh, the largest collector of all things Pokemon, all right? Uh, in fact, you can tell she's kind of gone a little bit overboard. She makes her own costumes and outfits for any convention that she will attend. All right. She actually says this. I don't just collect Pokemon. I pretty much live it as well. All right. (laughs) Whoa. Calm down. Right. And then there's this lady. All right. Uh, Her name's Carol Vaughn. She's collected over 5,000 different kinds of bars of soap. And you can tell she's really excited about it. All right. (laughs) She's like, whoa. Easy tagger. Right. Uh, And then there's this lady. I don't even know her name, but again, she's got an issue. Right. She's got a little too much infatuation with all things Dalmatian. All right. Uh, And then there's uh, this guy, uh, a guy who's collected and has the world's largest record for a collection of 
celebrity hair, all right? So uh, dead people, live people, this guy has got the world's collection of hair pieces ever, right? I think he sold a piece of Elvis's hair at one strand for literally like $10,000, all right? Crazy, all right? Uh, he's got Abraham Lincoln. He's got uh, Albert Einstein. He's got Edgar Allan Poe. And he's even got Marilyn Monroe, all right? Dude is crazy, all right? Uh, and then there's also, I ran across a few other things this week. I ran across a dude who calls himself Barf Bag Bob, all right? They're clean and they're unused, all right? But he's got 1,800 different barf bags, all right? Crazy. 700 of which are framed, all right? Fascinating, all right? All displayed throughout his house, all right? Amazing, all right? Uh, in fact, we even ran across a story we were talking this week to a mom who actually has collected all of her kids' umbilical cords, all right? Yeah, I figured I'd lose you there, all right? But here's the deal. All of these people are interesting, and I always feel like interesting is a Christian code word for weird, right? Like, why in the world would these people collect these kinds of things? But here's why I love looking at weird people's collections of weird things, all right? It tells me something about them, right? The kind of person that would go to that measure to collect all things Pokemon or 5,000 different bars of soap or barf bags, these people have an incredible interest and incredible love for things that I might deem not so interesting or lovely, right? But by the basis of what someone collects, you get a window into what they love and what they treasure, this morning, we're going to talk about something that we all collect, something that we all amass, but we don't necessarily think about it because it's just so normal to us. We're going to talk about the topic of money this morning. And I'll tell you guys, there is not a topic that is discussed more in your Bibles than the topic of money. Over 2,300 verses go straight to the topic of money and finances. More verses go to money than go to the topic of salvation. It's fascinating. Old Testament and New Testament, the amount of verses that are speaking toward money and the issue that humanity has with money denotes why the Bible speaks so much to it. We're going to talk about something that we all each accumulate and amass over and over again for the rest of our lives, all right? This topic of money. In fact, I'll tell you guys, I think it's absolutely imperative that you and I talk about it this morning in this stage of your lives because here's the deal. You guys believe that you are in a stage of life that you are poor, all right? In some regards, that's true, right? You think you're going to have a lot more money in the future, all right? The sad thing is I'll tell you guys that in some ways you may have more discretionary money now for the kinds of things that you want to do than you may have for the next five to ten years even after college, all right? Sad wake-up news, all right? You're actually quite a bit more rich now than you think you are, all right? But in all estimatable reasons, sure, you right now have very little to view in terms of your money and very little to learn to how to handle in terms of your money. Which is why I'd submit to you guys, this is a wonderful moment and a wonderful time in your lives to begin to really wrestle with how do you view money and how are you going to begin to learn to handle money? If you can learn to view it the right way and handle it the right way when you have little, it becomes much easier to learn how to view it and handle it when you have much. Because the day will come when you will graduate and you will not be paying for tuition, but you will actually be paid for a job that you're slaving away in and you're going to be in a whole different financial situation. The reality is, is that you're laying down patterns, you're laying down beliefs right now as to how you're going to view your money and how you're going to handle it that will impact you when you graduate. And so there's no greater time really to speak to that formative mo- moment in y'all's lives than now as you begin to think about your money. How are you going to view it? How are you going to use it? We're going to come at that topic, but I'll tell you guys, and I'll get in front of this one for you guys and say this, that for whatever reason, although the scriptures speak tons about money, Whenever the church begins to speak about money, we all kind of get a little defensive and our walls go up, right? For whatever reason, it feels like whenever a pastor wants to speak about money, it's much like that waiter or waitress in a nice restaurant who brings you the bill and slips a picture of their kids in it 
to help encourage your tip, right? <laughs> You're like, hey, there's kind of a conflict of interest here, right? Uh, there, our tipping is to their benefit. And obviously, I'd argue to you guys, and I'd get in front of it to say to you guys, I know there can be a, a seeming conflict of interest when a pastor and a church gets up to talk about money, because obviously that topic is, is beneficial to the person who's speaking, all right? I'm not going to show you guys pictures of my adorable kids, all right, this morning, right? Uh, but I want to highlight for you guys is that in many ways, it's, it's normal for us that are in the church to want to actually be silent on this topic. It feels sticky. It feels like there's a conflict of interest, right? But in in many ways, I feel like the scriptures are so clear and so powerful towards this topic that really for us to be silent on it does an injustice to you guys. And so in a series that we've entitled Culture Matters, I can guarantee you that our culture is talking a lot about money. And so what we want to do this morning is to come at that topic ourselves and provide you guys some scriptural examples of really what do the scriptures call us to as we think about how we view our money and how we handle our money. And the first thing I'm going to highlight for you guys as we jump into Matthew 6, we're actually going to begin in Matthew 6, verse 19. It's going to actually where we're going to begin. I began reading in verse 25. But the first thing I want you guys to see as we look at this topic this morning is that our wallets are a window to what we worship. Our wallets are a window to what we worship. If you want to know what you love, if you want to know what you're passionate about, my question to you is, or my, my instruction to you would be, show me your bank account. <laughs> On the basis of what you spend your money, it says something about what we love, what we cherish. Now, if you're spending a lot of money on tuition, I know that you don't necessarily love and cherish school, right? Not necessarily true, but but in general, in terms of the the choices that we have in terms of our money, what we're going to find and what Jesus is going to say is that really our wallets tell us much about what we worship. Our wallets really are a window to what we worship. And notice how Jesus says it. He's going to give us, simply in the very beginning, he's going to give us a restriction and a redirection. Notice his command in verse 19. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 19, chapter 6. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Simple command of restriction. Jesus says, Hey, don't be storing up treasures for yourselves right here. Why not? Jesus says, one, that which you store up now is destructible, all right? It can be destroyed by even the smallest of things like moth and rust that work in secret and work quietly. You don't know what's going on, but your wealth is being destroyed when you're not even paying attention. And it's not just that it's destructible, but it's not even certain. He says that uh, this is a place where thieves break in and steal. That even what you have, it is not certain that you can hold on to it. It can be destroyed. It can be taken away. So don't put all of your treasure, don't put all of your confidence in this wealth on earth because what you're stacking and what you're accumulating is destructible and it's uncertain. And so it's not wise to do that. In fact, one of my favorite other kinds of stories are stories about stupid thieves who've taken stuff and then get found out, all right? I've had a couple stories this week of a uh, a thief who went into a bank to do a bank heist, all right? And he submitted a note to the teller that said, basically it was a threatening note that said, basically, give me all your money or I'm going to shoot you with a gun that's in my pocket, all right? And so the the teller goes ahead and and capitulates, gives him some money, and he eventually takes off. But what the, the, uh, the idiot thief didn't realize is that the note that he had written was the backside of a personal hand check that had his name and had his address on the front side all right so before he ever even gets home the police are already waiting for him all right even thieves what they steal they cannot keep all right another story of a thief that i found that i absolutely loved was another dude who came and he actually submitted again another note that said hey i have a bomb in a bag and i'll blow it if you don't give me your money Uh, but he misspelled bomb all right which is awesome all right so teller kind of got a little whiff that maybe this guy isn't the sharpest tool in the shed and so the teller decided why don't i ask him for a couple forms of identification all right so hey the teller said hey i'd love to make this uh, possible for you. I'll give you the $900 that you're needing. What I need, though, is a couple forms of identification. Proceeded to pull out his driver's license, his social security card, all right? Got the $900, and before, again, he got home, what happened? Police were there waiting for him, all right? 
even thieves, what they steal, they cannot keep, all right? Especially if they're idiotic, right? I love those kinds of stories, all right? You guys heard the story about the thieves who somehow got handcuffed and they were escaping and running away and then ran right on the other side of a telephone post and then it wrapped around, crashed, police caught up with them, all right? Again, I love stupid thieves stories, all right? Even thieves, what they steal, they cannot keep because wealth at its very essence is not something that is certain, right? Proverbs will say it like this. Proverbs says, chapter 23, verse 5, that when you set your eyes on wealth, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. I know you guys are not at the stage necessarily that you have investments and you have stocks. But over the last 10 years, watching the stock market and watching balances and wealth, you begin to realize very quickly that wealth in no ways is certain. (laughs) You can have something in a stock market, and before you know it, at the end of a week, 10% is gone like that, all right? We put all of this confidence, we put all this hope in terms of wealth, and before you know it, it can be gone, robbed, stolen, destroyed, or the stock market goes down. We put so much confidence, we put so much certainty in wealth, and yet it is such an uncertain thing, which is why Jesus provides a bit of a redirection in verse 20. Notice what he says. In light of the fact that wealth stored on the earth is destructible and can be uh, taken away, he says, verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and neither, st- neither and where thieves do not break in or steal. He says, look, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth, but store them up in heaven because there, that wealth is one that is indestructible and it is one that's certain. Nothing can mess with it. Nothing can taint it. Nothing can take it. It is absolutely guaranteed and it's imperishable. You can count on it and take it to the bank. The greatest financial wisdom you can have is to not invest yourselves entirely in the now, but in a day that is coming. The question is, what is Jesus doing here? Why is Jesus so bent on helping them know how to invest their resources? Is he just simply a nice, wise financial advisor? I don't think so. Notice where verse 21 goes because Jesus gets to the heart of the matter in verse 21. Notice what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus recognizes and he lands for his audience. There's a connection between our wallets and our devotion our wallets and our devotion, that what you accumulate, where you spend your money, it says something about what you love. There's an indisputable connection between your wallet and your worship. Uh, Ladies realize this all the time, gentlemen, all right? Because the amount that you spend on them says something about how greatly you feel about them, right? Uh, So uh, wholesale flowers from HEB or Sam's, they don't communicate the same kind of thing as overpriced, ripped off flowers you buy at a florist, right? For whatever reason, ladies know the difference and they know the difference in what you're communicating to them, all right? Also, it's not just in dating, I'd say it's even in tipping, that we realize over and over again that in the way that we use our money, it has the opportunity to express value, love, and even appreciation, right? I'll, give, I'll tell you guys, I am completely confused still on the whole concept of tipping, all right? Uh, this August, uh, our staff was with a group of people. We were traveling somewhere, and we were with someone who was a barista in town, all right? Little did I know, I'll confess to you guys, I'm a non-tipper for coffee, all right? I know, judge me, all right? I've realized the error of my ways, all right? But here's the deal. I thought to myself, a waiter and a waitress is carrying heavy amounts of stuff, right? That is always a moment's notice from dropping it and someone yelling job opening, right? Uh, Constantly, right? They're walking back and forth to me, right? They're doing all kinds of stuff. They even clean up after me. But in my mind, a barista turns a dial, steams up some milk, puts a little lid on it, hands it to you, and I need to tip a dollar for that? I was like, no way, that's crazy, all right? But what I didn't realize is that there are some coffee shops that actually are betting on and planning on their payment being part of what you tip, all right? Different coffee shops are all different, right? Had not an idea about that. Same thing with Sonic. Sonic. 
Tip it Sonic or not tip it Sonic? I'm so confused, all right? I press a button, I make an order, they bring me a vanilla Dr. Pepper that is heavenly, right? And then maybe they walk once to me or they skate once to me, but either way, do I tip for that? I'm like, what's happened to tipping today, all right? I'm so confused, all right? But we all recognize whether you're tipping or not in the right places or not, there's something that we're communicating by a tip, by money in terms of our appreciation, our devotion, and our love. Tipping or dating, we get it all the time. Jesus recognizes that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is a connection between your wallet and your worship. And he says it over and over again, which is why even we find in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing a thank you note to the church of Philippi that has sent a gift, a financial gift to his ministry. And here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. He says that what you have sent is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The fact that he writes the book of Philippians at its very essence is a thank you note to them. Because he recognizes that their financial gift to him was an appreciation and an expression of love and devotion to Paul himself and to the ministry that he's a part of. And so he writes to say thank you. But he goes even beyond that sense of personal appreciation to God himself to say that that financial gift was an act of worship by the church in Philippi to the ministry that he was doing, but an act of worship not to the ministry that he was doing, but to the God that he was serving. You worship with your wallet. We try not to talk about it too much, but it is indisputable. Jesus makes that connection. What you worship is seen in what your wallet goes and spends itself on. All right, there's an indisputable connection. The question is really then, what do we spend our money on and who? Who do we give towards? I want to give you guys a whole larger list than just the church, all right? I want to give you guys a, a larger sense of what the scriptures are saying as to where our money is to go, all right? First off, and I think primarily it goes to family, all right? First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul will be speaking to husbands, and he says to husbands that their, one of their greatest obligations is to provide for their family. That one of the primary uses that we have of our money is to provide for our family. I'd say not just our core family, but even for the larger families that we're part of where there is need that's seen. Like Paul makes a point so strongly in 1 Timothy 5.8 that he says that if you do not provide for your own, you are worse than an unbeliever. All right? It's like, well, why even have the faith? <laughs> why even express a belief in a, resurrected, a crucified and a resurrected Jesus if you're not even going to provide for your own? You've missed the whole point. <laughs> Don't bring me worship in a church if you can't provide for your own. Basically what Paul's saying, you've missed the whole point. You're worse than a believer. One of the first primary responsibilities that we have with our money is to provide for our family and to help for those that are in need, all right? Second of all, we see the poor. Even in Matthew chapter 6 itself, earlier on in the section, we'll see Jesus speaking about those giving to the poor. Uh, we also see it in verses 19 21. We also see it in Galatians 2. And you see that theme throughout the scriptures. That next week, if you're here with us, we'll talk about social justice and we'll talk about poverty and what is the church's responsibility in that. The government, whether it's shut down or not, is not the primary one who's supposed to be taking care of the poor. All right, Whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, whatever political philosophy you have about uh, minimum wage, about uh, discrimination, uh, about uh, taking care of the poor, food stamps, whatever, whatever political beliefs you have aside, all right, the government is not the primary and the only provider for the poor. The church is supposed to be also. Old Testament, New Testament, uh, the scriptures will speak over and over again about those who have a faith in Jesus Christ and God himself being a provider and a protector for those that are nameless, faceless, and voiceless. That we are to provide for those who have physical and material needs, which is what James 2 is all about. A passage that we speak a lot about in terms of theological disputes, the second half of James 2. But it's a passage about taking care of the practical needs of the poor and those that don't have a jacket, those that don't have a meal. That's part of what we've been called to. 
Lastly, I'd highlight for you guys, even the church, that part of what we're to spend our money on and part of where our money is to go is to the church, the place that we worship, all right? Luke chapter 10 is a great passage. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 is a great passage, but even First Corinthians chapter 9. I'll read it to you guys. This one, I think it's very clear. Uh, Paul writes in First Corinthians 9, a man who was getting his, wel- his welfare and his wealth from those that he was serving, he says himself, with a very giant conflict of interest, he says, 1 Corinthians 9. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Couldn't be any more clear. Couldn't be any more straightforward. That part of what we are to do as a church body is to provide for those that lead us in worship, all right? I'll tell you guys, uh, for me, speaking and thinking through this, uh, uh, I think it's fascinating even as you look at the Old Testament. Uh, Then in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel, they had a group of people, uh, a tribe that were known as the Levites. And the Levites' job, the Levites' role was to lead the nation in worship, all right? And so part of what they did was they, their whole week, their whole job, by and far, went into leading the nation in worship, which meant they didn't own land, they didn't have wealth, they were provided for by the nation in terms of the sacrifices that were brought. So it's part of what you saw in the Old Testament. It's part of what you see that same ethic carried on in the New Testament. And the scriptures are clear over and over again about it. It feels very awkward for me to highlight it and speak about it to you guys. But it's part of what we see over and over again in the scriptures that in terms of who we have an obligation to support and to provide for family, the poor, and the church. We see that over and over again repeatedly throughout Old Testament and even New Testament, which really kind of leads us to the question, in any of these arenas, how much do we give? And in these arenas, whether it's our family, whether it's the poor, whether it's the church, the question that a lot of us have is how much do we give? The question that we're really asking sometimes is how much do I have to give, right? How much can I get away with giving and feel okay and taken care of with that whole issue? In many ways, it reminds me a little bit of a guy who's dating a girl early on in a relationship, all right? Uh, Christmas rolls around. They've been dating for a couple months. And if you guys have ever been in that situation early on in a dating relationship, Christmas rolls around. It's incredibly terrifying, right? You're, you're wrestling with what kind of gift do you get? What does this gift communicate in terms of the state of the union of this relationship, right? If I give too little and I don't spend enough, it says this is just a fling. I don't think it's going to last past Valentine's, right? If I give too much early on, I'm saying that we're going to get married. It's going to happen next February, right? And you're like, I mean, I, I'm just, what do I do, right? And then the other thing you're thinking of is, is since it's Christmas is you know that she's going to probably give a gift as well. And so you're terrified that you're going to underspend her, right? You don't want to overspend her, but you don't want to underspend her. And so you're terrified, you're proud Analysis by analysis, right? What do you do in that situation? Which is why I never started a new relationship until after Valentine's. Just word of note, all right? So you can avoid that whole horror, all right? But again, when you're in that little, when you're in that little spot, right? You've missed the whole point of the gift, right? You missed the whole reason why you're giving a gift, right? To express gratitude, express worth, to express appreciation for someone you're in a relationship with. And you get so caught up in what is the other person going to give? You get so caught up on how much should I spend, right? And then you begin to miss the point. I want to highlight for you guys that really when we begin to think about giving, when we begin to think about the question of how much do we give, when we really ask the question this way, how much do I have to give? We really miss the entirety of the point of giving at all, right? Giving is an opportunity with our wallets to express appreciation and the worth of someone else, right? That's in dating, you're expressing appreciation and worth for someone you're in a relationship with. In terms of walking with God, in terms of worship itself, your wallet is an opportunity to express and declare the worth of God and your appreciation for him. All right? And yet we so often miss that as we wrestle with how much to give. And so let me give you guys a few uh, tracks to run on. A lot of us kind of run to the Old Testament and talk about the 10% tithe discussion, all right? Do I have to give 10%, all right? People run to the Old Testament and say that the Old Testament provided a parallel that is likely applicable for us, in which case we see that it's 10%. The reality is if you look a little bit more closely in the Old Testament, it really wasn't just 10% they had to give. (laughs) 
part of their tithe was a 10% tax on what they, uh, what they were making and part of what they were giving, but they gave above and beyond that 10% tithe. So if you want to use the Old Testament as a parallel, 10% really isn't where you should be landing because the Old Testament nation of Israel gave more than that on a common basis, all right? But I'd argue that really what we begin to miss as we think about how much do I have to give is we really miss the fact that we aren't the givers to begin with, right? As we've been called to consider our finances and what they reflect in terms of our worship, we get really caught up and we really begin to miss the fact that we were not the first givers in this whole relationship to begin with. One of my favorite passages along these lines is 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes this, that you and I were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your fathers, but you were redeemed with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I think when we can think about how much do I have to give to express appreciation and the worth of God in worship, we've missed the whole point of the gift, and we've really missed even more that God way outgave us to begin with, and we'll never come close to touching what He's done on our behalf. The beauty of the gospel is that God has invited us into an eternal relationship with him on the basis of what he paid and he paid extravagantly and gave to us something that was absolutely free. Absolutely free. Jesus paid it all is what we sang this morning. Jesus gave the entirety of his life for us, expressing how greatly he valued us so that we could have a relationship with him. And all we are doing in our finances, in our worship, with our time, our finances, our talents, everything that we have at our disposal in worship is expressing to him how greatly we value and how greatly we think that he is worth. Well, we've often missed the fact that he gave and outgave us first, way and above and beyond anything that we could ever possibly imagine. We weren't redeemed with silver and gold, little quarters and little nickels and little dollar bills, right? We were redeemed with the spotless blood of an unblemished lamb, Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it looks like to give, God says, look at me. God says, look at me. I gave you my only son. And if you want to know how much you're worth, look at how the price tag that I paid, my only son. I'll tell you guys, and we'll talk about this here in a minute, a little bit later on as we continue on. A lot of us wrestle with our sense of self-worth. And I don't know that you get a statement of your worth that's more powerful, that's more magnificent than what Jesus said on a cross as he died for you. You are worth this much. That I'll go this far, even to death, to pay for you so that we could have a relationship. Jesus says, here's a picture of my love and here's a picture of your worth. And so when we get caught up in this discussion of how little do I have to give, I think we've really missed how greatly God paid a cost and guaranteed us absolutely freely a relationship with him. What an amazing gift. So the gospel is an absolutely free gift in which God paid it all so that we could know him and we could have a relationship with him which is really why I'd say for you guys this morning, as we think about this topic of money, I'd say for some of you guys, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the place that you guys begin this morning is not your wallet. (laughs) Not at all. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, if you've not entered into a relationship with him ever before, the place that you guys begin this morning is simply by receiving a free gift that was offered to you. No strings, no conditions, no promises of the future, simply a gift that said, here is how much I love you. I will send my only son and put him on a cross and he will die in your place so that you can have life and you can have life abundant because I love you that much. When we think about giving, we think about this topic of money. We come at it from a whole different set of assumptions and reasons. And one of the things I want to establish for us, whether we know Jesus Christ this morning or not, is that God has outgiven us and we will never come close to what he's given and what he sacrificed for us. 
If you want to know how much you're worth, look at what the, look at what the cross says to you and I, that we are worth that much, that God would go that far to redeem us and to reconcile us so that we could have a relationship with him. What an amazingly beautiful picture. It's called redemption, that God would come and buy us out of a marketplace so that we could have a relationship with him. And he would pay the ultimate cost and he would pay way more than anything we'll ever come close to paying because we were worth that much. And he loves us that much and he invites us into a relationship and all giving becomes for you and I is an opportunity to declare the worth of God as we look at him. In many ways, I want to challenge you guys, not just if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning to receive the gift of eternal life, but secondly, I challenge you guys to begin to budget your wallet's worship, all right? I want to challenge you guys to begin to budget your wallet's worship. And what I mean by this is that in terms of what a budget is, a budget is not just to make sure that you don't spend a certain amount of money. A budget is a tracking tool that tells you and shows you where your money is going. If you don't know where your money is going, then you don't know what you actually love. And if you don't know what you actually love, you don't know whether it's actually competing with an apparently professed love for God himself. If all of your money is going over to this direction and yet you say that you love God and nothing is going toward God himself in worship, then the question is, do you really love God? <laughs> right? Do you really love God? It's fascinating because this is an incredible contrast and incredible tension that gets created for us. And I want to challenge you guys, because I think in terms of college, a lot of us don't really keep budgets. Budgets is something we typically keep once we graduate or we're looking at marriage or we're looking at a job. And I want to challenge you guys, it's a skill that's really, really helpful now. You may not have much now, which means it's really easy to track <laughs> and organize and watch over, right? Uh, and so even with the little that you have, the question I want to ask you guys is, do you know where it's going? If you looked at your wallet and where your money went, what would it say about what you love? What would it say about what you love? Because ultimately what budgeting is, is an opportunity for you to monitor it, for you to examine and really be honest with where your money goes and therefore maybe where your treasure and where your heart is. There's a connection between our wallets and our worship. And so my question for you is, as you look at your money, spend some time this afternoon and go, hey, where's my money going? I always laugh because in our, in our marriage, we, we kind of try to keep a budget. And I love as we talk about other couples too, as they look at their own budgets, uh, there are times where people will go over their budget and some people will call it a visionary month, right? They can envision all that could have been, right? The reality was there wasn't that much money, right? Uh, and so what I want to ask you guys, though, no matter what, whether you're overspending or underspending, that's not the ultimate goal of it. I want to challenge you guys to begin to build a pattern and an ability to budget and to watch over your expenses so that you know what you love. We're always amazed when we look at our budget at home by how much we spend on food, groceries, and eating out, right? It communicates something about us. We are foodies. We will admit that today, all right? Crucify us. We love food, all right? It's the reality of it, all right? Uh, but the question is, I want to ask, what do you love? What is it you love? Where is it your money's going? How much of it you're spending on coffee, right? Holy moly, right? Let's just move on. It's getting a little convicting, right? <laughs> But what is it you love? What is it you're passionate about? What is it that you're accumulating and amassing? And what does it say about your affections and your heart and your worship? Hopefully you're beginning to see that sure, there are expenses in your life that you cannot avoid. That's just part of life. But in some of the choices that you have and the choices that are negotiable, what does it communicate about your values, your priorities, and your affections? Because Jesus will say, where your treasure is there, your heart is also. Where your wallet goes, so goes your worship. And what's fascinating about our passage in Matthew 6 is not just that our wallets are a window to our worship, but also I think our wallets are a window to what we worry about. Our wallets are not just a window to our worship and what we love most, but our wallets are also a window that reveal what we worry about. Notice what Jesus will do here in verses 25 and on. Notice the discussion. Actually, I'll take you guys to verse 24. Notice he says, following this whole discussion, he says to verse 24, that no one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He'll highlight these two different tensions, God and wealth, and he'll say, you cannot serve both. Both are jealous masters that want everything that you have and they want it all, all right? They do not like to compete with one another. Uh, God and money are a little bit like a reality that faces me every single day I come home from work and when I sit down at the dinner table, all right? As I sit down at the dinner table, there is a lot of conversation going on, all right? There's a lot of vying attention and desire for my ears, all right? Uh, I have my wife who's amazing, all right? Uh, she's been home all day with little kids, a lot of kid conversation, and she is starving for adult conversation, all right? So she would love to talk a lot at the dinner table. I have a four-year-old girl who started out really shy, but I'll tell you guys, oh my heavens, can she talk? all the time, all right? So I get home at the dinner table. She's not seen me all day. And she literally would be content if she could talk to me and talk at me for the entirety of dinner, all right? And now we have a little, little boy too who's about a year and a half. He's starting to string some words together, all right? But before he even had words, he had sounds. And he lets us all know that he can make sounds, all right? So at the dinner table, all right? And this is if we don't even, if we don't even have guests, all right? I have a daughter, I have a wife, I have a child, a boy who all would be completely content if they could talk and take the entirety of the time over, all right? I have masters for my ears that would be completely content if they had the entirety of my ears, all right? And I have to make choices at the dinner table. Who gets my attention? Who gets my ear? Because if they get my ear, they get some attention, they get some love for me, right? But it's a constant battle because I can't please everybody, all right? It's a tension that I cannot master, all right? God, Jesus is saying in terms of God and wealth, so it's the same as my ears, all right? Masters that are wanting it all and they will not vie for one another, all right? You cannot serve both. And what's really fascinating about what Jesus does in verse, at the end of verse 24 is he'll use a different word for wealth. In verse 24, he says, you cannot serve God and wealth. Some of you guys have a little, like a little note that kind of goes to a different word. That the, the word there is the word mammon. And what's fascinating is it can be translated wealth for sure and can reference finances. But what that word highlights is that the issue with finances is not just about money as an asset, but it's an issue about what we trust. That mammon was something that people would put their confidence in. And so the issue, as you look at choosing a master, a choice that you have to make, is it's a choice between what you will trust. Jesus will say you cannot serve God and wealth because you have to trust one. And you will eventually in your actions show which one you trust. You can pay lip service to money and you can pay lip service to God, but your actions will show that ultimately what is it you trust most. When it comes to whether God will protect you and whether he will provide for you, do you ultimately trust God for that or do you trust what finances can do? Who is the protector and the provider in your life now and even as you look in the future? A lot of you guys are under mom and dad's financial umbrella right now. But as you're looking at a future that's to come beyond that, the question is, who do you, who do you believe will provide for you and who do you believe will protect you? Some of you guys are working your tails off in school because you so got to get a good job because you got to get good money so that your life can be taken care of. In the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about school and doing school to the best of our abilities. And so there's a, a wisdom in that. But sometimes there's also a reality that I think it shows a lack of trust in God himself. So notice really where Jesus goes in verse 25 and on, because ultimately he's going to make a case for God as master, because he's going to try to argue that God will provide and he will protect better for you than anything else, and especially wealth. If wealth is destructible and it's uncertain, then don't put your primary trust in it to provide for you and protect you because it will fail you. So notice how Jesus mounts his argument in chapter 6, verse 25. Notice what he says. 
For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Why are you so consumed, worried about eating and drinking and clothing and the future and things that are uncertain to come? He gives an exhibit to show them that God can provide for them. He says, look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. They're not spinning and panicking and working incredibly with all that they have and saving incredibly much because they're so fearful of the future. And yet notice what God does for them. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? I love what he does here at the end of verse 26 because he turns the discussion over a little bit. Our wallets can show us not just what we worship, they can show us what we worry about, right? If wealth is what we're going to trust for provision and protection, then, we're seen, then it's seen by our wallets and how we pursue money and how we guard over money. And what I think is really fascinating about what Jesus does here is he says, look at the birds. Notice what God does for them. And if you can't trust that and if you can't believe that, then really the issue is not just an issue of confidence, but it's an issue in worth. Why do you believe that God would take care of the birds of the air better than he would take care of you? Humanity is the pinnacle of his creation. Humanity is the one that he came and sent his only son for to redeem and to buy back out of slavery, out of guilt, and out of sin. He did not buy the birds back. He bought humanity back. And if he provides and protects for the birds in the way that he does, then why don't we believe that he'll do that for us? Two issues. One is we don't trust. The second issue is we really sometimes don't think we're worth more than the birds. The very asset that we are supposed to use in worship to declare the worth of God ends up being an asset that we use to declare our worth. The irony is amazing there, right? An asset that we're supposed to be using in worship to declare the worth of God is an asset that we end up using to declare and determine and establish and to promote how worthy we are, right? Is your worth determined by what you wear? Sure was in high school, right? (laughs) Is your worth determined by what you drive? Not now, but when you get a job, it seems to be, right? Is your worth determined by uh, the house that you live in? Sure as heck not now because you're poor, but one day... That will be the issue, right? Is your worth one day going to be determined by the kinds of schools your kids go to? See, that's where our cities and our societies run to. Your worth is determined by your financial bottom line. And the argument I want to make to you guys is no matter what your worth and your finances and your wealth can say about you, God has determined your worth and declared it and communicated it in a way that your wealth never can. Because your wealth can never buy and never pay the sacrifice that God paid for you and set up and determined your worth in a way that your wealth never can. Jesus says, look, trust me. I provide for the birds. I will provide and protect you. In fact, you're worth way more to, to me than they are. So why wouldn't I do even better for you? And he goes on, not just to the birds of the field, but notice what he says in verse 30, or verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. Solomon, who had all the riches in the world, he had all the wives, he had all the military, he had all the country, and uh, uh, had a kind of kingdom that we've never seen before. Even he could not clothe himself the way the grass of the field clothes itself, or is clothed by God. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... If God will go to that extent for grass that's here today and gone tomorrow and cut by me in a week, then won't he do better for you, right? That's the argument. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? I love what Jesus does here in the second half of this passage because he highlights for you and I 
as we look at what we worry about, it shows us much about who we are. Ultimately, I think God is going to make a case. uh, Jesus makes a case for God as master. And ultimately, I think through that, we get a sense too of a case against worry. Why is worry so silly? I love what he says earlier on. He says, who of us by worrying can add a single hour to our lives? Worrying is one of the most least fruitful activities you and I could ever do, but we spend all kinds of time doing it, right? All kinds of time. If I had sitting here and just asked you guys over lunch, what is it you're worried about? We could take up more than just lunchtime, right? Uh, if I had you guys list out this afternoon, in fact, this is a great idea. I want you guys to sit down this afternoon, all right? I want you guys to list out all the things that you're worried about. What are all the things that you're uncertain about? What are the, all the things that make you anxious? List them all out. Is it a job? Is it a future spouse? Is it a future wealth? What is it? What are all the things that you're worried about right now? A position that you want to get into, an organization that you hope to be a part of. What is it? What is it you're worried about? Because ultimately, I think it says a few things about our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves. First, I think it reveals a contentment problem. That when you and I worry, what it says is that God has not provided us enough today. When you're worried and you're anxious, what it says is, God, what you've provided me today, it's really not enough for me. (laughs) I'm anxious. I look at what you've given and I say, you know what? Maybe this is good for somebody. This isn't good enough for me. And the worry itself is a statement upon who is your provider and who is your protector. And it says, I'm not content with this. I'd rather throw this God off and go get something that I think I'm more worthy of. God doesn't know better. Second of all, it often shows a confidence problem. That not just that God hasn't provided enough today, but I'm worried about what he'll provide tomorrow. And I'm not confident in him. I'm not confident in him. Uh, our little girl just had a birthday uh, here today. It's her birthday. And so uh, it's been like three weeks of celebration with different family coming in at different times. And it's fascinating to watch a girl who's getting incredible gifts, incredible opportunities, but to notice the heart and to notice the possibility for a sense of self-entitlement, right? That just grows and potentially can grow and grow and grow. All of a sudden, she's not grateful. All of a sudden, she wants more. All of a sudden, she asks us in the midst of all these gifts, can she have a red car last night? It's like, what? Your, your grandparents just gave you a trip to Disney. Why are you asking me about a red car, right? You're like, oh my heavens, come on, right? What's wrong, you know? But again, I'm not content enough today and I'm not content about tomorrow. And my issue is with those who are the givers in my life. They've not given enough. And ultimately what worry shows you and I is that we're not content in the present with God's provision and we're not confident in the future with his provision as well. And then lastly, I think uh, worry also shows a self-worth problem. One of the reasons why we're anxious, one of the reasons why we worry is because we think that whatever it is that needs to come in the future says something about who we are. Worry and anxiety is a staring at your navel kind of activity, all right? It's self-preoccupying. It's all about you. It's not all about others or about what God is doing, right? It's all about you, your situation, and your constant wrestling with your sense of worth. If you're worried about getting a spouse one day, the issue really for you is not just that you don't want to be single, but you're afraid if you're single, what people will think of you that maybe you're not worthy of a spouse, right? If you can't get a job after graduation, the issue for you really isn't just financial provision. It's about what will people think of me if I can't, get empl- can't be employed? Surely I'm not that worthwhile, right? Anxiety and worry always show not just a contentment and a confidence problem, they also show us a worth problem. And the question I want to ask you again and again, I keep driving on it is, why are you worthwhile, why are you significant? Is it determined by the spouse that you will get one day, Lord willing, hopefully before you're 30, right? <laughs> Is it determined by the job that you'll get before you graduate or after you graduate? No. 
your words is determined more than anything by what Jesus Christ has done on a cross and what he communicated to you as to how greatly he paid for you to have a relationship with you. Jesus makes a statement about your worth that nothing else will ever make, which is why when we run after other things, it always leaves us so confused and so empty. Someone from the opposite sex will never be able to fix your worth issues. No amount of money will ever be able to fix your worth issues. It will just leave you broken, confused, and empty. Still searching, still yearning, still struggling. Which is why I want to end with two basic ideas this morning, two basic applications. One, stop finding your worth in wealth. I don't know how to keep saying it, all right? Your, worth will de- re- uh, your wallet will determine and highlight what you worship, and it also highlights what you worry about, all right? And often I think it highlights that we worry about our sense of worth, all right? You are not determined by what you wear. Your worth is not determined by where you go to school. Your worth is not determined by the job that you'll have one day, all right? Your wealth does not determine your worth. What your, what your wealth can get you, what your wealth can secure for you, does not determine your worth. But what your wealth does do is it provides you an opportunity to declare God's worth, all right? Wealth is an asset that God grants you and puts in your disposal to manage and to steward so that you can be a blessing to others, that you can provide for those that are in your family, and that you can help the kingdom of God continue to advance forward. That your wealth is an asset and an opportunity to express the worth of others in your life, not yourself, right? It's an amazing opportunity in the midst of worship to express to God, hey, here's how I feel about you. Not just with the words that I sing, not just with the time that I give as I serve in a church or in a campus organization somewhere for the glory of God, but even with my money itself and my talents and my finances, I come and I get to say, hey, God, here's an estimation and a statement of my gratitude and a statement of my declaration of your worth. You are worth this. You are worth me going apart from this Starbucks drink or whatever because you are worth it. You're glorious, you're majestic, you're beautiful, and let me worship you with all that I have, my money, my time, my talents, myself, my whole life, right? Let me give you guys a few opportunities at least to actually practically do that, all right? We talked a little bit about family. We talked a little bit about the poor. We'll talk about the poor next week a lot more, all right? Uh, And so I'd love to challenge you guys as you think about your lives. I'd love for you to actually spend some time, pull back this afternoon, begin to learn how to budget, all right? Also begin to think through, hey, Lord, is there someone in my family that there's a need that I can meet? Is there someone in my family there's a need that I can meet that I see that I can move forward to express to them, hey, you're not alone. I see this. Let me serve you. Let me love you this way. Also, even as you walk through the next week, I can promise you, I can guarantee you, ask the Lord to put people who have needs in your life in front of you and watch what happens when your eyes are open. We'll talk even more next week about social justice and about poverty for those that are, uh, that are in a sense, uh, impoverished or for those that are disadvantaged in what we do and how we respond to them. But let me challenge you, even begin, begin to open yourself to that discussion next Sunday by asking the Lord this week, put some people like that in front of you. Had an individual last Sunday night that the Lord put right in front of our service in the evening at our other campus that uh, I had an opportunity to step into and try to love and, and try to help move him toward a situation that would be helpful, all right? The Lord will put those kinds of people in your life. Ask him to open your eyes to it so that you will have a heart and that you'll have an awareness to try to meet those needs. Lastly, I'm going to give you guys a few opportunities right here in the life of our church that you can be a blessing financially, all right? One is, you guys know our college retreat is coming up next week, all right? Hopefully some of you guys are all going. We're looking forward to it. We're excited about it. It's not too late to sign up, Sign up, right? We said the deadline was, last, was Friday, but we're actually going to extend it. So if you guys have not signed up yet, we would love for you guys to jump in and be a part of that. You can sign up online, all right? But I'll tell you guys, there are some students who need scholarships. So if you want to go, uh, but finances are an issue for you, you're restricted with your finances, you can't pay for it all, uh, we've said, hey, email Marty Scott, come talk to me. We'd love to help uh, meet you in that so that finances aren't an issue that you can come. 
But for you students who maybe aren't going to come or for you students who have some excess, even if it's five, ten dollars, we'd love to say, hey, would you consider, would you preferably consider even giving as a scholarship toward our scholarship fund for students who need extra funds for retreat? Great opportunity, timely need that's coming up. We still have students that are waiting on scholarships. We still would have students that we really would count that a blessing if you guys could give towards that, all right? Second opportunity I'd highlight for you guys. Some of y'all know this. We've been starting to announce this, but we have a vision trip coming up December 12th to the 22nd. Uh, for some of you juniors and seniors, as you're wrestling with, hey, what does God have for you guys? We're trying to open up an opportunity for you guys to go to East Asia, have an opportunity to serve the, uh, this winter break. I'll tell you guys, awesome opportunity to see ministry at Christmas time in East Asia. I will guarantee you it's life changing. All right. Some of you guys have been before you and you're head nodding to me right now. All right. I love that. All right. Uh, but, uh, some, but for those students that will go this winter break, they're all going to raise their support for that trip. All right. So one of the great opportunities that you guys have, whether you go on the trip or you don't go on the trip, is that you can partner with them financially, all right? Uh, easy way to do that is simply write out a check to Grace Bible Church and put in the memo line, college missions, all right? They'll go straight to these trips that we're doing this winter and trips that we're doing this summer, right? Incredibly tangible, easy opportunities that we're going to put in front of you to say, hey, here's some really timely needs that would be really significant. You could really help some people have an opportunity that they wouldn't have before. In fact, what I love about the vision trip and getting a partner financially on a vision trip like that is that you get to use your resources to declare the worth of God in places where there is not churches and there are not people who've actually heard the gospel before. It's not like College Station where there's churches on every corner, right? And in some of these parts of the world where we go every summer, every winter, you guys have an opportunity with your finances to declare the glory of God in places where the church does not exist, at least not to the kind of same level where the the nations have been reached. And so we want you guys to be a part of that. You have an awesome opportunity to do that with your finances. Simply write a check to Grace Bible, memo line, college missions, all right? But we want to encourage you guys also not just toward uh, unique causes or unique opportunities, but by and large, I want to challenge you guys to begin to learn to consider giving consistently here at Grace, all right? If this is where you guys have felt like the Lord's led you and plugged in, I'd love to challenge you guys to prayerfully consider, hey, how could you give? How could you help financially here at Grace, all right? I'll tell you guys, the amount is not what's significant, all right? The amount is not what's significant. When you guys have little, you are setting patterns now for how you will view your finances and how you will handle them now. And the opportunity that you guys have even now is to actually begin to participate financially in what God's doing here at Grace Bible. And we would love for you to do that. How do you do that? Uh, one of the easiest ways to do that is simply to download our Grace Bible Church app. Uh, you can download it, open it up, go to the far right, a little more section, and kind of deal comes up and has a little button that says give. And it'll take you to our giving page where you guys can give on a one-time basis, on a consistent basis. I, I want to say this. There are all kinds of opportunities and there are all kinds of needs that are out there. I really don't care where it is that you're giving. I want to challenge you to begin to consider giving on a consistent basis, all right? As part of your worship, as a part of how you walk with the Lord. If that's here at Grace, that's fantastic. We're excited. If that's for missions, fantastic. We're excited. If that's for your family or for needs that you see in our community, fantastic. Part of how we as a church move into our community, part of how we have an impact is not just with the words of a gospel that bring life change. But it's as we move in very practically, bringing jackets, bringing food, bringing very practical things, all right? Your finances are a part of how you worship and a part of how you walk with God. They're not a separate entity, a separate compartmentalized part of your life. The question we're asking every single week this uh, fall as we walk through our series, Culture Matters, is how does our faith intersect with whatever part of the world that we're talking about, right? We've talked about the arts, we've talked about career, and this morning we're talking about f- finances and money, right? How does your faith intersect with money? How does your faith intersect with your wallet? Because they do intersect. They're not separate, right? In fact, in many times you're having to make a choice between what you're going to worship, whether it's what the world will offer you or whether what's God has called you to. 
I want to challenge you guys and begin to consider, hey, what has God called me to? Uh, our worship team is going to come back up and we're going to have an opportunity to kind of respond in worship because I want you guys to have an opportunity to just come before the Lord and to really say to the Lord, hey, uh, what is it I believe about your provision in my life in the present? Am I content with what you've provided? What is it I believe about you in the future if you are ultimately my best protector and provider or do I trust something more? What is it that I'm confident in? What is it that I trust in? What is it that I love most? I want you guys to have an opportunity to just come before the Lord and sit quietly and let the Spirit begin to tweak and to wrestle and to speak to you, not just about your sense of confidence in the future, but even a sense of worth. What is it you think that makes you worthwhile? And how do your finances speak to that? I want you guys to have an opportunity to come before the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you immensely uh, that you've called us, that you've created us, that you've trusted us with finances and what you've given us. And Father, I pray that you'd use us, that you'd allow us to honor you with our finances and with our wealth, and that you'd be honored in the way that we walk that out. Give us a wisdom to do that in a way that would honor you, Lord. We ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.